0: Welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Trey Colbeck, Adam Stewart, and possibly Michael Garrell here tonight. Uh, he did have a last-minute uh, work meeting, uh, so uh, we'll see if we can get him in here eventually. But, uh, you know, we uh, we thought we were going to keep Adam out here tonight with a one-game suspension for being a supporter of the Colorado Avalanche because I'm a benevolent dictator on the podcast. but. Uh, coming in off the bench, we figured we'd uh, give him just a fine and welcome him back in. Uh, Adam is here. Trey is here. I am here. We are here to talk about week three in the CFL. Should be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, a couple interesting results from around the league. Uh, before we begin that, I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, want to acknowledge that the Canadian Football Countdown is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the uh, Anishinaabe Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Metis Nation, as well as from Treaty 4 Territory, traditional territory of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Metis Nation. We're live on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, all that fun stuff made possible by our presenting sponsor, Game Time TV. Check them out at Facebook.com/slash GameTime TV MB. Now let's bring in the rest of the crew here first. Uh, it's the great Trey Colbeck. Trey, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Ryan. I had no skin in the game yesterday, so I'm going to really enjoy you. Uh, now that Adam's here, your guys' banter. But yeah, really excited. Uh, yeah, interesting results. Uh, I don't know if people want, like check out my Twitter, but our betting was not great <laughs> this weekend. So hopefully we'll get it back next weekend.
0: Yeah, it was not not a shining week for us uh, after a good couple weeks to start the season, and uh, we'll see where we go from here. Here with us as well. A fan of the uh, the newly anointed Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. Uh, at least one sports result went your way this weekend, Adam, uh, because the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Well, we'll get to it in a second. <laughs> How you doing tonight, sir?
2: Well, I could only be so happy. I mean, let's face it, if the uh... – if the, if the Avalanche won and the Rough Riders won, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd be on cloud nine yet or not, or being able to come off it yet. But uh, you know what? It was a good series between the Lightning and the Avalanche. It was really fun. Uh, let's put it, that, like I said earlier uh, to you, Ryan, just before we went on air, uh, Andre Vasilevsky put me from <laughs> Andre Vasilevsky to oh geez, it's Andre Vasilevsky. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm glad we won that game, and uh, yeah, now we can move on to full CFL and go from there. Yes,
0: yeah, so let's do that. Let's dive right into it and start off with the first game in Week Three. Uh, the Saskatchewan Roughriders heading to Montreal for the Alouettes home opener. Well, I ate a bit of crow on this one myself. I said this was going to be a blowout. I think I picked Riders by 17 in this game, and it went the complete opposite direction. Montreal 37, Saskatchewan 13. Right from the opening play of the game, Chandler Worthy returns a kick for a touchdown. The Alouettes' defense, nonstop pressure all night long. The offense with uh, new starter Trevor Harris gets it done. Uh Wow, Uh big shocker here to start the week off. Uh Trey, what did you think about this game between Saskatchewan and Montreal? What stood out to you?
1: Well, yeah, I agree. I thought it was gonna be a blow, and it was the only game the three of us agreed on when you know looking at betting. What stood out to me was Cody Fajardo. You know, he just kind of again seems to not be hitting his targets, and the couple interceptions, and not a great percentage, and under two hundred yards, and. That's my one point, and we're going to talk about this a lot. Trey's keys to a game. What did they not do? They didn't run the ball. Now maybe were they down early and, you know, got away from it? Sure. But you still got to run the ball in the CFL. So, you know, that's kind of what stood out to me. But I'm really curious what Adam, you know, a, a rider fan, has to say about it. Because, you know, you, you're thinking they're sitting on 2-0, and tied with the Bombers, tied with the Stamps, you know, half a game ahead of B.C., now the loss kind of puts you in like an early—I don't want to say a hole in a, you know an 18-game season, but it definitely sets you back. Uh, so yeah, Adam, what do you feel about uh, Rider Nation right now? Or oh, did we lose Adam? Did we lose Adam? Yeah, we may have lost Adam. Okay, yeah, well. we'll later. Well, maybe you. Maybe just take your inner Adam here. And if we were, let's put the melons on our head. How would we be feeling in Saskatchewan right oh, now? Oh, I'd rather
0: not. But uh, sure, let's, let's play that role anyways. He was so upset by this game, he just dropped out of the podcast. Uh, he was done right there. He just came in, talked about his uh, Colorado avalanche and left. Uh, so uh, I guess, well, we'll go from here. Uh, no, Adam is back in, it looks like. Uh, there he is. Um, well. Uh, I'll, I'll get my thoughts on the riders here. Cause he did just ask Trey. Uh, yeah, I, I was shocked by this one. I was expecting a big day, you know, Trevor Harris, at quarterback for Montreal. Uh, I thought the riders defense that had what 12, 13 sacks on the season was going to feast, uh, put up, you know, maybe even double digits on the sack totals. I have to say I was, I was potentially thinking here. Uh, Jamal Morrow huge game the week before against Edmonton seemed like everything was rolling Saskatchewan's direction, but that opening play kickoff I think just took the wind out of their sails and you know couldn't get anything going offensively early in this game and yeah it was a bit of a struggle early in this one for Saskatchewan and I think the biggest issue there was the loss of Dan Clark at center right we talked a little bit on our I think our preview show about what that would mean for the team. I thought maybe, you know, it wouldn't be as bad as we saw. But, boy, was that a rough time. Uh, Fajardo uh, not getting much protection there. Ending up on the ground quite a bit. Uh, Coming in off the bench, the great Michael Garrell is here. Mike.
3: Good evening, gentlemen.
0: Good evening to you, sir. Your thoughts on the Riders' effort against Montreal in the 37-13 loss?
3: Um. Really quickly, and I hope this hasn't been discussed because I'm just jumping on here. Um, but I think I said this in the group chat. I was worried about the the uh, short break between games for the Riders, uh, Saturday, and then the turnaround on Thursday, uh, both of which on the road. Uh, the tight turnaround to me is what doomed the, uh, the Riders writer, the in this one. Also, can't help but wonder, guys, if they were also the victim of a motivated Montreal team, who had an owner that was very, very upset by the fact that uh, they lost two close games, uh, they lost their running back in game number one, uh, presumably for the season or most of the season. So the emotional, you know, letdown of that, and then their 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 uh, misfortune with the field goal there. Um, but Montreal coming back with, with such a great effort. Uh, you know, it started off the opening kick drop, opening play. And, you know, it was just a great team for Montreal to finally get all the facets of the game together. Not worried about uh, the Riders in this one. Uh, I think they were due for a letdown. Uh, I think it serves notice to Bomber fans about what we have coming up. Uh, they played this Monday in Toronto. Uh, coming up here next Monday. And then they have a game the following Saturday in BC. So we'll see if there's a residual letdown there. Every team in the lead has a short week. Am I concerned about the riders? No. Am I extremely happy? Uh, Montreal got the ship righted? Absolutely. And we'll see if it uh, begins smooth sailing
0: let's see if adam is in fact back here adam are you here and do you have thoughts on the riders efforts you betcha i'm just trying to reenact a john denver song
2: of country roads take me home right now but uh nevertheless uh yeah i know the riders i would probably say uh really just a poor effort coming into this one Chandler worthy or took all momentum right out of the riders uh sales right going into the first play of the game and it just didn't go anywhere down it went down from there whether it was the injury to Shaq Evans uh Logan Mandy not playing a great game the riders shooting themselves in the foot continually with penalties it just was not a very good game for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders no matter which way you slice it it was it was bad I mean couldn't get the pressure on the defense on the offense like they were expected to on Trevor Harris just a lot of things that went wrong for the Rough Riders and not a lot of things that really went right. I think that's one of those games for the riders right now. It's early in the season. You burn the film and you go and uh, make sure that you uh, start holding some of your players maybe more accountable for, uh, for penalties. And uh, you go from there because, like I said, there's just nothing that went right for the rough riders.
0: Let's talk about the Montreal side of things. Definitely an impressive win here for them, a win they probably needed. We talked a lot last week. I think it was last week's recap show about Kahari Jones being on the hot seat for the Alouettes and heartbreaking losses the last two weeks. And boy, was this a nice bounce back for them and always possible. Uh, You know, Trevor Harris came in, didn't look too bad. 72% passing, 262 yards, touchdown, no interceptions. Definitely moved the ball a lot better than I thought. They, he would uh, defense played out lights out. I, I was amazed by that defense. I didn't give him enough credit. I did my preseason rankings and I think I had the alouettes as my least favorite defense in the league uh, coming into this year. And special teams is a spot that they struggled a lot last year with the rotation of, uh, of return guys after Mario Alford went out. Well now Chandler worthy came in at over 200 yards return return yards almost had a second touchdown that got called back by a penalty somebody i think was almost a million dollar winner uh in the uh the, the kickoff touchdown contest thing uh Trey what did you think of this uh this from the Montreal side this uh this
1: game for them with with all the pieces out they found a way to get it done No i agree with what Mike said earlier about you know this this kind of was this ended up being a trap game for the rough riders and I found it interesting because with the switch of Trevor Harris, so now it's like, you know, starts posing some questions when VA is, I guess, COVID negative, who's going to be the starter? You know, Harris now picked up the first win. So I think that's my biggest takeaway from this is now there's going to be a real, we were kind of talking, is there really a quarterback controversy? And then, and then Adams gets to what the four play hook. And now that's my biggest takeaway. And I think it's really interesting. Trevor Harris had the, you know, he had the spotlight and, He proved it and he didn't throw any picks. He played clean football, you know, didn't throw for, you know, tons of yards, but got the job done. You know, that's kind of what I like uh, with Montreal's game plan. And going into the season, I thought that was going to be VA's, uh, you know, ingredients for success, but Trevor Harris can do it too. Yeah, Mike, what do you make of this one? Uh, Again, I think you talked a little bit about
0: this maybe being a trap game for Saskatchewan, but uh, what did you think of Montreal's
3: uh, performance here? We learned the benefits of having a 1A and a 1B quarterback, I think, gentlemen. Um, be it injury, be it COVID, be it another whole scenario, folks. Cannot have a very good... You can't afford to not have a good up option at quarterback. Uh, you never know uh, when you're going to need them, And, you know, guys, I... I hope that this turns into a situation of a motivated Vernon Adams, if and when you let him back on the field, because I think of it kind of as a hockey scenario to have a, you know, the starting goalie and the backup goalie and the backup goalie pushing the starter uh, to make the starter better. Uh, I, I think we could see that kind of scenario uh, unfolding. It's a very interesting thing about, um, you know your team when it comes to that. Uh, how does your team respond to a backup, uh, uh, controversy, if you want to call it that? Um, how can you not ride with the hot hand? But uh, to me, I, I don't believe that Vernon Adams has done anything to lose his job either. Um. it's not like he threw six interceptions and was, you know, one of 15 for 15 yards and and six interceptions either. So I think you go back to VA with the caveat of, okay, this is what your up did. Uh, you have a chance because we anointed you as the number one, and we are not scared to go back to him. But to me, this is VA's team, and I would expect VA, if healthy, to start. Knowing in the back of his mind, but now he got somebody pushing him, so he better perform. And it's not his fault that the kicker didn't make the field goal, either. So that that's interesting. When it we've, comes we've got that. a couple, we've
0: got a couple comments here in the chat. Uh, kat has got a comment, I believe, talking about the Riders in this game. Would you have switched QB? Down that much, hoping that would uh, boost, boost the team and switch momentum. I think they did pull Fajardo late in this game. Mason Fine came in, went 7 of 9, 83 yards, did throw a touchdown pass. I don't know how much of that was trying to boost the team and more so writing this game off in the fourth quarter and uh, just trying to keep Fajardo healthy. Uh, and, Mike, you were just talking about Vernon Adams and uh, and Trevor Harris' uh, Hus- Hussey's Huddle in the YouTube chat says, I'm worried about Adam's mental state right now. Harris has been in situations like this before and was clearly comfortable with the 1A, 1B situation coming into train camp. Adam, what do you make of that and the Montreal quarterback situation here going forward?
2: Well, first things first, I just don't think that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are most comfortable right now with their quarterback situation, uh, mainly on their backup quarterback situation. I don't think Mason Fine is the guy that they're expecting to be the one to possibly take over for Cody Fajardo. He's there for an injury if there's an injury to Cody. Otherwise, I don't see him really being the option uh, let's face it, again, in Saskatchewan, and I heard it today over on uh, the local call-in show for uh, for the Riders, everybody loves the backup quarterback. Why isn't the backup quarterback in? We should put the backup quarterback in. You know what? There's a reason why Cody Fajardo won out the starter's job. And I think if you take a look at the two quarterbacks that you're comparing there to, Cody Fajardo definitely has the better stats to prove why in there uh once the game got out of hand yeah you got to pull him eventually uh that being said with vernon adams and uh junior and uh with trevor harris i think trevor harris hey he got you the win i mean as much as they want to say that they uh that vernon adams was the quarterback of the, for them and everything else in the long scheme of things trevor harris got the win for the montreal alouettes
0: yeah, that, that he did. That is very true. And, and it almost sounded like, I forget who was reporting on this this week, and I'm sorry I don't uh, have that off the top of my head, but it almost sounded like this might be they might be rolling with Trevor Harris going forward. He got them the win. The, you know, Kahari's got a bit on the hot seat. Maybe maybe there's a little pressure to uh, to ride with the hot hand, so to say. Before we move on to the next game here, uh, of course, we did make our picks for the week. I think you said them earlier, Trey. We were up
1: with... Yeah, you, me, and Adam, we all went Riders direction on this one, correct? Yeah, we all took Riders minus minus three, and uh, Montreal uh, definitely did better than that. So, yeah, (laughs) didn't start off too well.
0: All right, let's move on to the next one here. The uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers hosting the Hamilton Tiger Cats, a rematch from the 2021 Grey Cup. A game that started half an hour late due to uh weather delay. It seems every time Winnipeg and Hamilton play each other is either in a Grey Cup game or a weather delay. It, there's nothing in between. Uh, I feel like every time Hamilton comes to town, there is a uh, a Grey Cup, a bad weather game, you know, or they're playing in the Grey Cup, as I mentioned. Sorry, rambling. Um, Bombers win this one 26 to 12, uh, maybe the biggest storyline to me in this game is just the Ticats being without four of their top offensive linemen and having the fifth and Chris Van Zyl go down in this game. And boy, did we see that because Dane Evans struggled for a lot of this game. Uh, and, uh, we talked a lot about the Bombers defense last week uh they came to life in this one big time uh mike what did you think of the uh the the this game from uh winnipeg and hamilton
3: i i didn't think it was all doom and gloom guys i i thought you know it was the re-emergence of that bomber defense doing what we expected to do and getting more uh to 2021 levels of shutting down teams um you know, they got obliviated by Jeremiah Mazzoli in the first two games to the tune of almost, you know, 800 yards, give or take a few. Uh, to see that kind of level out, um, I have to wonder um, perhaps Winston Rose's foot injury was more of an issue than we were led to believe in those first two games because Obviously he missed this game with the Ford injury. His replacement, uh, I believe with Demario Houston, um, uh, did a pretty good job. Um to me they did a really good job stopping the run. Now that that comes with the caveat that, you know, Hamilton didn't run the ball an awful lot, uh, either. Um I I think the one concern I would have if I'm the blue bombers is you know, a lot of field goals, not a lot of touchdowns in this one. Um uh, but again it was that late drive in the first half, uh, which kinda helped them gain control of the game. And uh guys, I don't know about you, but I had Banjo Bowl memories kicked back to me where Willie Jefferson runs back those two two touchdowns, then you know, he makes the, uh, the the big touchdown to Tennessee with. Um, you know what? This is a team that is not as good as last year in Winnipeg. But I can start to see the week-to-week progressions that tell me things are going to be okay. And it might not be the prettiest work of art, uh, but it gets the job done. Uh, Quickly touching on Hamilton, my level of concern is about a 40 out of 100 with them, uh, just because we've seen this before. But if it starts to spiral out of control, uh, then questions will need to be asked. The good news is a lot of their division isn't winning either. So they're just as much in it as they are out of it, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense there. Uh, talking about, you know, the efforts of the Bombers' defense. Three games so far, one touchdown given up, which I believe was week one against Ottawa. Uh, what did you see from
1: the blue and gold here, Trey? Well, again, we're going to go back to Trey's three keys. <clears throat> he made their field goals. Winnipeg fans are ecstatic that Mark Leggio actually can make a field goal. But not only that... My third key that I haven't talked about, field position, guys. We all know how – like, you guys, again, let's go a little bomber geek here. Full disclosure, we're probably going to go here. How much good, better was that punting than we've seen with him over the last maybe two games in a year? That punting and kicking off was great. That's what you need to get the field position. Yeah, I agree with Mike that, you know, some of those field goals need to turn into touchdowns. But when you have a guy who's actually making the field goals – your deep and you' def- and, and he's giving you great field position and you have Willie Jefferson Je- uh, Jeff code and Big Hill on your defense you know when you're putting them back in the 10 and the 20s that's a long field in the CFL you got to march down and only three downs to do it so that's my biggest takeaway again is the special teams and hopping up on the other side of the special teams. Grant he's one block away every time he just needs to maybe hit one more corner and he's gone so you know special teams and field positioning is going to be my third key and the Bombers did that perfectly yeah maybe you want Caleros to have a little bit more touchdowns yeah you want a little bit more rushing but I'm pretty happy with the result Uh, you want me to talk about Hamilton or do you want to talk about Winnipeg first Ryan Yeah, I'll touch on Winnipeg here and then we'll move to the Ticats a little bit uh,
0: because I think there's a lot to discuss there as well. A couple of big things that stood out to me. You mentioned the kicking game there, Trey. I was almost floored when uh, they had Marco Aggio come out to kick a 45-yard field goal uh, earlier on in the game because I think up until then his longest was like 30 or like nothing longer than a convert on the season. So to see them put him out there and see him hit that, you'll love to see that. Zach Kolaros throws for over 300 yards. He hits 302 on the day. Uh, I tweeted this stat out this week. This was Zach Kolaros' only second 300-yard passing game in a Bombers uniform. His first one was a 400-and-something-yard game against BC last season. He is 20-and-2, I believe, if I have it correct, as a starter in games with two Grey Cup wins. And only 200, 300 yard passing games, which is just absurd to me be, and, and kind of shows that, yeah, this this league eight isn't all about passing yards. You know, uh, we saw Mazzoli throw 300 plus the first two weeks, 0-2, right? Uh, this league, and to me, this really just speaks volumes to the depth of the Bombers as a whole, uh, that the defense can chip in the special teams, etc. You don't need your quarterback throwing 300 yards every game uh, in order to be successful. Uh, and, and the other thing I want to touch on with Winnipeg is that we mentioned the, that we needed to see more from Rasheed Bailey. We need to see more from Nick Dembski. Both of them stepped up with big games. Uh, Bailey had 10 targets, five catches, 58 yards. Nick Dembski in just a half because he went down due to injury. Uh, six catches on seven targets for 96. So, yeah, you know, Ellenson still chipping in 70. Dalton showing a bit of a step back here. But now it seems like, you know, the whole rotation of Bombers receivers getting going. So while well, the run game still isn't there, hey, the passing game looked good in this one for Winnipeg. Now let's talk about the Hamilton side of things here. Uh, I want to know one one of the questions here we got uh, over on Twitter was uh, something from Scott Westman, uh, at Teaspoon underscore baller, uh, some great Twitter handle, by the way. Uh, someone has to bring up why Orlando Steinauer isn't on the hot seat. 0-3 to start the season, back-to-back Grey Cup losses. Uh, Trey, are, are you concerned here for the Tie Cats based on what you've seen thus far? And uh, maybe
1: is he on the hot seat for you? I don't know. He's kind of a... It's one of those, it's weird how we talk about Kahari Jones being at one and two, and he's on a more of a hot seat than the O and three. Coach O is, it's a weird league. I, you would think he wouldn't, but again, we see crazier things like uh, in the NHL, we see coaches make, you know, Eastern finals, and then they get fired, and we see guys like that in the NFL too, you know. So it's not be a be crazy, crazy. But my big thing with um, the tie Cats, is I'm going to go to Dane Evans here, I'm going to use a horse racing analogy. When you have a new horse, young horse, they don't like the gate. They hate the starting gate. It doesn't matter if it's thoroughbred or harness racing. They hate the gate. They don't know what it is, and they get jumpy. Now, the hope is, the hope is, they l- learn to deal with it. Dane Evans is a young, younger horse. Yeah, he's 28. Really, what his third season, and this is going to be a second full season of play if he doesn't get injured. He's still a young horse in this league. And I don't know. He just seemed really shaky back there. He was making real quick throws. Some of them turned out okay. He gained a fair bit of yardage. Uh, not really. But he did move the ball sometimes. But, you know, there was some plays he was making. But I think they were just dumb luck. And he, he looks like he's closing his eyes and just throwing it anywhere at times. I don't know what you guys think. But that's what I always thinking watching it. And he needs to learn to bring it down. So I don't know if it was like the Grey Cup rematch. I don't know if it was the Bomber whiteout. I don't know if it was those thunder sticks. I don't know if it was the thunder in the sky. But he just seemed really shaky out there. And I think he's got the skill. It's just maybe what's between the shoulders holding them back. Mike, what do you think on
0: that uh, with Dane Evans? Because, you know, he only has a handful of starts in the CFL. And his last three games he's played against the Bombers... Well, the last two before this one were those two Grey Cup defeats, which maybe, you know, when you have guys like, I think I said this to you guys the other day, when you have guys like Willie Jefferson, Jackson, Jeff Jeffcoat, etc. bearing down on you, and your last two games against this club were those uh, devastating games in the Grey Cups, that's got to play into your mind a little bit here,
3: no? First off, I'm, I'm going to adjust this twofold. I... My personal belief is Orlando Steinauer being on the hot seat is the most not ridiculous tape I've ever heard, but find me a coach of the quality of Orlando Steinhauer that you would find in season. And it's not like they're nine and nine and middling around here. The last two great cup losses were losses. Okay, you didn't go to a championship game. And at the coin flip. As far as Dane Evans, let's have this discussion a little bit more realistically here. The first year that Dane Evans was a starter, remember, was in 19, around game 14, where Jeremiah Mazzoli was having this MOP season, and he had a very serious knee injury. So, Dane Evans is parachuted in and say, here, kid, no pressure, first place in the East, game 13 or 14 of an 18-game season, no pressure, let's go. Last year, great, not-so-great start. Ends up getting it together in the middle of the year. They find their way to the top of the East to host, I guess it was, the semifinal before the to one Toronto for the Eastern Final, he leads them to a win when it counts. And if I could use the horse racing analogy again, and that's what my set based on my knowledge of horse racing, I would rather not have the horse running right out of the chute, but coming around the last corner down the stretch to the finish line is when I want my horse performing at its peak to make the comeback. So, Dane Evans at the beginning of the year, not necessarily my concern. I want Dane Evans clicking from about Labor Day onward, which he has a track record of doing. And it's funny. Certain quarterbacks match up really well against certain teams, or a lot thereof. The fear of Dane Evans and the Blue Bombers, legitimate when you talk about what has happened in the last two great toughs. That aside, Dane Evans is a great quarterback with not an awful lot of experience when you factor in, but your one wasn't, as I've already said, a full season. So 20, 22 games starting experience? Yeah, but a couple of big wins in the playoffs. And last I checked, the way you play in the CFL, Labor Day onward the season starts, couple big playoff wins good enough for me, rather than 0-5, I guess, in your last uh, five season opening quarters. Uh, Not how you start, how you finish. Dane Evans, to me, will be okay. There's a lot of winnable games down the stretch, and trust me one thing, he will be fired up to play Jeremiah Mazzoli and the Red Blast. There's a lot of those type of games coming up. You can't tell me he won't get up for that. Neither will Mazzoli want to prove to his old team, but he should be the one there, and Evans should be the one in Ottawa. there's going to be some dead games involving Dane Evans, and I think we only need to look at his rebound performance the week before. Not a very good week one game. Came out and threw the lights out in uh, week number two. I had a down game against the team, but historically he had not done well against. Long story short, my level of concern with Dane Evans, zero. You guys can see that. I have a zero out of 10 for concern right now, based on track record of what he's done in the second half of the season and into the playoffs. Championship games aside, it's a coin toss. You win some, you lose some, you just on the wrong side of two of them. So not, my- to, not to mention, sorry to butt in yeah, here. Like the sense of Dane Evans right there.
0: There we go. You love it. Round of applause, Mike. Uh for that one. Uh not to mention the offensive line, like completely being out, puts Dane Evans in a rough, rough situation to succeed here, right? Uh we do have Adam back in here with us. Great to have you back, Adam. Uh, we do have some comments in the chat. Asis Suttle says, there's no way Orlando Steinhauer is on the hot seat. All he's done his first two years as head coach is get to two great cups. Uh, would be hired instantly if fired by the Thai Cats. The offensive coordinator getting canned uh, more likely. And uh, he agrees with your take on Dane Evans. If he struggles against the East, he would be concerned. Uh, Adam, what do you think here on this game from Hamilton and Winnipeg? What stood out to you from either side here?
2: You don't know a whole lot really. Uh, Winnipeg is fine. Maybe starting to find their mojo just a little bit here, I find uh, with their defensive line, especially Uh, Willie Jefferson having that uh, last uh, minute pick there, kind of for the pick six. So that was kind of cool. So it was a good thing on Winnipeg to get going. Uh, I'm sure that people are happy that Legios is starting to kick some, uh, you know, field goals. That would be nice. So uh, that's a good thing. on the Hamilton side of the ball, I think they're really still missing John, Don Jackson a little bit. I, I know that uh, traditionally Hamilton's on a run team. Uh, they like to pass. But in this case, I think that they need to switch something up. And maybe the run game is maybe what needs to be changed up in Hamilton. Uh, the other one that I just kind of overheard when I was walking in here, uh, Orlando Steinauer possibly uh, on the hot seat. I don't think so. Not quite yet. Anyways, uh, It's he's 0-3. Yes, it's a bad record to start with, but you know what? We've seen the BC Lions go from 8-10 and 10 and go back on a w- real winning streak and end up winning the Grey Cup. So I don't think, and unless you're really full, uh, throwing in the towel, you're not going to go and change up a coach like Orlando Steinhauer right away. Uh, and Dane Evans in that case, you know what? I'm getting a little more concerned every week, uh, especially with some of the errant throws that I've seen. Uh, but you know what, he's got to have a little bit more time yet, I think. Uh, they don't really have much of a backup in Hamilton with Matthew there. I don't believe. So right now, it's it's Dane Evans' show. Uh, I mean, anything can change. But uh, yeah, I don't think that Hamilton's really going to give up quite yet. And especially when they haven't really played any real amount of Eastern teams. I mean, let's face it, once you start playing the East, anything can happen right now. There's only one game separating pretty much the entire
0: East. Yeah, it's, it's very tight. No no team has really jumped ahead. My thoughts on the Orlando Steinauer thing, I'll sum it up, as they just gave him more of a role this offseason in the team, right? So I have a hard time believing a no-win-free start. When they started slow last year as well, is going to get him on the hot seat. Uh, as we wrap this up to move on to the next game here, Trey, how did we, uh, we do on the betting on this
1: one? Well, boys... Ryan and Adam, you guys took Hamilton plus four and a half, while well, the Bombers smashed that one. And I took a minus four and a half, so I was the only one to pick up the win there. Uh, yeah, my, that defensive line definitely spooked that horse of Dane Evans. If uh, we're going back to the horse racing metaphors, and uh, hopefully he's got a good, uh, good. Uh, I, I, real quick, I'm not overly concerned. I think I'm somewhere between Mike and Adam. Maybe, maybe call it leaning more to Adam. It's when he starts, if he starts doing this against the East, then it's like, oh boy, you know, maybe we're in trouble. But yeah, we'll move on to the next game. And how did Mike do on his horse racing analogy? I, you know, he wasn't bad. The only thing is some horses do like getting out front first. It's it's a horse by horse thing. So you were, you were pretty good. You are right. You need to have a good stretch. You need to have a good stretch. We saw that in the Kentucky Derby. Those stretch horses and sometimes win. We'll see if I can work in a uh, farming metaphor here in the the next
0: segment as, uh, as we move on to the next game here, the, uh, the battle of Alberta, the Edmonton Elks, the Calgary Stampeders, Calgary takes this one 30 to 23. Uh, Big, big game here. Big rivalry game. Uh, You know, scoreline looks like kind of like Edmonton actually came out to play decently. Well, they led six, nothing at the end of the first quarter. You know, they had a lot of good things happen for them in this game, but Calgary comes uh, out in the fourth quarter and and gets it done uh, off another solid game by Bo Levi Mitchell, 75% passing, 321 yards, touchdown pass for him there. Uh, What do you guys make of this one? Let's start with you, Adam. Uh, What do you think on Edmonton and Calgary here?
2: Well, you know what? Uh, To use a little bit of a horse uh, racing analogy, because, you know, it seems to be the popular thing. uh, I haven't been very popular in Edmonton, so I'd probably be getting uh, flagged or uh, a little bit of a fine for excessive whipping on uh, Edmonton lately. But nevertheless, uh, you know what? They did come out and actually play a pretty good game against the Stampeders right off the bat, to be honest. Uh, Looked like Nick Arbuckle had some pretty good throws in there, uh, managed to hit Manny Arsenal a few times early. I've uh, also got Kenny Lawler going and the Edmonton Elks looked pretty good right off the bat. Uh, ha- our uh, Calgary again, a little bit of a slow start. Uh, however, they did have Kadim Carey running the ball right down Edmonton's throat, which again was one of my keys was if they're going to win Edmonton, they've got to stop Kadim Carey or stop whoever was going to run the ball. I, uh, I was quite amazed that, uh, that they still haven't figured that out, and I mean, when you're switching in uh corners into receivers and doing all sorts of weird things like Chris Jones kind of likes to do, I think that's probably where you kind of end up into trouble. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, I think what ended up kind of killing the Elks in the end. However, that being said, uh, they are improving, so uh, got to keep an eye on them. Uh, Trey, what did you think of the uh, game?
1: No, I think you're going to get away with the excessive whipping fine on Edmonton because they might deserve it. But I'm going to get an excessive whipping fine on Bo Levi Mitchell. I've been crapping on him from day one of me joining this podcast. And, yeah, he keeps trying to make – he's like that kid Trey. I'm going to make him shut up this week. And, uh, you know, 21 for 28, 321, and they ran over 100 yards on the ground. Ah, oh, what are you going to say? I was a little scared, you know, early on. Um uh, and I almost, well, we're going to get to it later, but I I thought I was going to have the eight and a half, but they just, that last field goal blew it. And, you know, it was a good game for Calgary. They, it seems like they don't care if they're down by however many early. They just going to keep coming back. That's what three comeback wins uh, in a row to start the season. That's not bad for both, so... Yeah, I, you know, maybe we could talk about it later, but now three undefeated teams in the West. It's kind of hard to say who's going to be the last one because Winnipeg and BCC each other in a couple weeks. Could Calgary be the one, you know, sitting at 4-5-0 and o after that time? So it's going to be crazy in the West. We kind of thought, you know, the West might have taken a step back and they might have, but they're not acting like it. So, oh, Calgary, I'm, Bo, I'm sorry, Bo. I, I take everything I said back. Matt, Mike?
3: Yeah, you know what guys, I I, I give Edmonton a lot of credit. They picked themselves up off the mat here, uh, but let's not mistake ourselves, guys. This game turned when Nate Arbuckle threw that brutal interception in the third quarter, uh, and and that was kind of ran back for the touchdown, or or no, sorry, that was the one where it was caught uh, in decent field goal uh, field position. Uh, Mitchell just on the field, one play to the bath of the end zone. Beautiful throw, uh, a, a bully by Mitchell throw at that. Um, but you know what? This is a Calgary team that, dare I say, is getting back to the Calgary of old, uh, where, you know, they're making opponents pay for their mistakes. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that Calgary was on the ropes. Uh, for most of that game until that interception. But it's like, you know, that interception happened, and boom, it's like Chattery no noticed they had new life uh, and continued to roll that way. Now, granted, there was a late touchdown where I believe it was a third down executed, uh, the first playoff of the three-minute warning to get it to 30-20, uh, to 20, and then the late field goal to cut it back to a touchdown. Uh, there's something really uh, else to note here, uh, but this is one of the rare occasions where teams see each other four times in a season. Uh, there's certain matchup happens uh, not this week, but next week. Uh, but I believe it's at the British Commonwealth uh, in two weeks' time. Uh, Calgary on a bye this week, and then they have that game with Edmonton. So you know, it did this to me is just it's Edmonton taking steps, but again reinforces that maybe the top half of the uh, West is what we think it is, uh, with BC starting to kind of make some noise about trying to join the top half of the uh, of the. Uh, of the, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here, but, you know, BC trying to make the run for the top of the table or at least home field or at least a playoff spot, They've, they're they off to a pretty good start. Um, you know, and the way this is shaking down, and again, there's still a lot of divisional games to be had uh, for sure. But, you know, now all of a sudden BC's play has started to kind of get into that conversation of the crossover. Um, uh, cause Calgary seems to be rolling. They just find a way to do it. Right. Much like Winnipeg, you know, nothing to write home about, uh, 30 or 20 something point comeback, uh, pull another one out and, you know, kind of wait for teams to make a mistake. And that's sort of the death sentence of their opposition. And that killer instant of one mistake, um, I still think the jury's going to be out on Calgary once they see a Saskatchewan, which I'm pretty sure is coming up. I know they make a mid-July. I think it is trip to Winnipeg uh, for what could be first place uh, in the West. Uh, there's not a lot of separating good things. Uh, what I've seen uh, from Calgary so far, uh, Edmonton much more improved. Uh, but again, I, I think we see the this is everybody else in the division. Uh, you can see my hand there. And this is Edmonton. And it's this little gap that's going to separate Edmonton from everybody else. And unfortunately, the wrong way. I want to talk a little bit about Calgary's
0: defense here because I feel like we always talk offense with them. It's always about Bo Levi Mitchell and the crew there, right? And, and we've got Uh, You know, we've got a comment here in the chat. Hussey's Huddle says, Cameron Judge is fitting like a glove in that defense. You know, they lost Darnell Sankey, went over to the Riders. Uh, They bring in Cameron Judge. Uh, Had a bit of a rough go in Toronto. I feel like didn't make as big of an impact as we thought. Fitting in nicely there for Calgary. And another guy who had a massive game here, Sean Lemon on the defensive line. Two sacks, one forced fumble for him. You know, Lemon's been kind of around the league with a lot of the different teams getting close to the Kevin Glenn tour, uh, here. And I feel like now at his point in the career, his career, because of that, he kind of gets a little bit of a knock of, you know, maybe he's not as quite the, you know, upper echelon of pass rushers as he used to be, but I think he's fitted very nicely there on that Calgary defensive line alongside the likes of, uh, you know, uh, of course, I'm blanking on the names right now. Uh, Rose and Wiggins, I want to say, the, the two defensive ends there. Uh, so I I like the, what I've seen from Calgary's defense, even if they're you know, still giving up some points here and there. Uh, on the Edmonton side of things, yeah, better effort for Edmonton this week. I, I liked uh, what I saw from them. Improvement again. I've said all along that I think this is going to be a better team uh, going forward here. Uh, but it's going to take some time to get there. Um, you know, they, they put the blender out there a little bit this week. Chris Jones strikes again. Uh, former Bombers kick returner, wide receiver Charles Nelson, the starting safety for the Elks. Backup quarterback Kyle Oxley played wide receiver. Um, you name it. Uh, you know, Chris Jones pulls his antics. I don't know how effective they are, but the team seems to be improving. And I want to give a shout out to a guy on the Elks that I wasn't sure how big of an impact he'd make this year. Manny Arsenault is having a heck of a comeback season here for the Elks so far. Seven catches, 100 yards, one touchdown for him. Uh, was the Elks leading receiver in this one. Uh, shout out to Manny Arsenault. I've always been a big fan of his and uh, happy to see him back in the cfl and contributing well here anybody got anything else on the elk side of things uh they want to touch on
2: yeah no i was looking at the stats though and you know one thing that i do not see very much on the edmonton elk side of the ball is sacks and i don't know if that's going to be a trend that continues or not i it doesn't seem like their front defensive line is getting very much pressure yet on uh on the uh, quarterback. And let's face it, it's Calgary Stampeders. Most guys don't get to get anywhere near Bo. Uh, and the Stamps have made a good point of trying to do that with adding Derek uh, Dennis over there on the Stamps side of things. But uh, it's also affecting then their secondary because if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, he gets a little bit of time to get the ball off. And let's face it, if you've got Bo Levi Mitchell back there, he's going to find a guy like Malik Henry for 170-some-odd yards in one game. So I could see that being a real issue for the uh, Edmonton Elks going forward. And they've got the players to do it. Like Mac Henry uh, was with the Rough Riders last year, had some good amount of playing time, had some sacks, uh, had a little bit of obedience problems or uh, penalty problems. But that was a different story. So I, it'll be very interesting to see how this uh, defensive line of the Edmonton Elks develops uh, going forward. Uh, Trey, anything from the Elks?
1: No, I think they're going to be my new whipping horse now. That Bo has proved me wrong. I want to see Edmonton, them and Hamilton. Like I'm, yeah, I don't. The, you can't get a win going early on the season, and I know Ottawa got the bias, so they have one more chance. But I just, I, I. I kind of expected more out of Chris Jones. I know we all kind of had him near the bottom, but they were that team where I was like, if one team's going to surprise us, it would be the Elks. And yeah, long season, doesn't start to Labor Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the wins count now just as much as they do later. There's no double XP. There's no, you know, wins count double in October. So you got to win now. Uh, You have to win against your conference or your division rival. And they didn't. And they had the lead early and they blew it. That's what it is. And yeah, I agree. Defense... Like we said last week, I think on the show, what other than Saskatchewan, there's no real lot of sacks anywhere to be found. So, yeah, I don't know. Edmonton's got to mix something up. But I think, again, they're for the long term. Uh, Chris Jones for the long term here. So, let's Mike, do you have anything to add?
3: No, you know what? I uh, I really don't want to repeat what has already been said, uh, other than I could not agree more with some of these tapes.
0: All right. I think we're pretty much ready then to move on to our final game of the week. But, uh, before we do that, how do we do on the picks
1: here, Trey? Well, you Adam and Ryan, you guys picked up your first win. You guys took Edmonton plus eight and a half and they only lost by seven. I got my second loss of the weekend taking Calgary, which like I said, they had the 10 point lead late. I'm sitting at my night job, very happy and then refreshed to find out Edmonton kicked the field goal. So, you know, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, Move on. <laughs> on
2: our, the you know, I was kind of <laughs> surprised the, uh, Calgary didn't really go for the field goal at the end there because, you know what? It's a four-game series. I mean, it could come down to points.
0: Yeah, that that's an excellent point. Uh, let's move on to our final game of the week. I can't believe I've had to wait 50 minutes to start talking about this one because this is the one I'm most giddy to talk about. BC 44, Toronto 3. The Lions did it to Edmonton in week one where they put up a massive, I think it was like a 42-point victory. Uh, None of us thought they would replicate that coming out of the bye week, but uh, somehow they topped that week one performance with an even more dominant one over the Argos. Look, we're going to talk Nathan Rourke. Probably the majority of this segment is going to be talk about Nathan Rourke, and I will get into that in a second, but I feel like before we forget to do so, we need to talk a little bit about the rest of this team for the Lions and how they played here. And I think they stepped up big across the board. Yeah, a lot of guys go down due to injury. Uh, James Butler went down. Brian Burnham went down, could be out for a little while here. Uh, Bola Combo on the defense went down. The next guy stepped up. Like, when have you ever seen David Mackey, fullback for the Lions, come out with 90 yards rushing and a touchdown in a game? We saw Dominic Grimes do what we saw from him sometimes in Ottawa, 143 yards receiving eight catches, eight targets, two touchdowns for him, a dominant performance that way. Sean White was money as always kicked a 50 yard field goal, uh, made all three on the day. And that defense stepped up big time with a number of sacks, a number of turnovers and uh, just shut down anything Toronto had going for them basically. So, Some quick praise here before we get into the topic at hand for the rest of the Lions team here. Now let's talk about Nathan Rourke, everybody. Uh, This is quite the sight to see. Sets a CFL uh, record for passing yards in a game by a Canadian. 39 of 45, 86.7%, 436 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. His second start of the season. I believe in his last three starts in the CFL, he has 14 touchdowns combined between the ground and the air. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. Let's go to you first on this one, Trey. What do you think of the performance here by Nathan Roark?
1: Man, when we get a CFL video game, if this kid's not the cover, like, I don't want to buy it. You know, there's like, forget about the field, like the marketing this is going to do. But yeah, 400 yards, four TDs. Man, and Rhymes was catching dimes out there. You know, it was a great effort all around. No, I didn't. I thought they would win. I didn't think they would win this much and do it again. And uh, I don't know who they have next week. But, you know, in two weeks when they play the Bombers, that's going to be a battle for first place. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Labor Day does the season starts. But these wins early again. That's going to be a game on a Saturday night in, in, uh, in BC. But, oh, Nathan Rourke, I... I can't. I'm again. I was at my night job, refreshing through the scores and the highlights and the stats, and it kept going up, and that score kept getting bigger, and I just couldn't believe it. Um, Adam,
2: yeah, Trey. I mean, let's face it. I was looking at Nathan Rourke and thinking, man, if uh, if only I would have picked him in our weekly fantasy and uh, dressed him to that game, it would have been a lot better. Sorry, Ryan. Anyway, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, like I said. Nathan Rourke, I mean, let's face it, he's starting to really, really turn uh, into that guy that you just don't expect to ever see uh, in the CFL. I mean, he's got all the attributes of any other guy. He's from Victoria, VC. I mean, let's face it, how much better of advertising can you get for the BC Lions I read out of that? But uh, no, the performance that he's been pulling off for these last two weeks, and that's is against a very good Toronto Argonauts defense. This isn't against... The Edmonton Elks, which was first week. But the second week, he goes against a good defense in the Toronto Argonauts. Maybe he doesn't have quite the uh, treats. And I know there's still people in Saskatchewan here talking, well, but he hasn't played the uh, Blue Bombers or he hasn't played the Stampeders or hasn't played the Rough Riders. But I'll tell you right now, just the attributes that he has, the amount of work that he's putting into these games, this guy here is going to be a good quarterback for a very long time, hopefully in the CFL. Although there's talk on that already too. What do you think, Mike?
3: I don't want to come across as this guy's going to be the MOP two weeks in. I also don't want to come across as the guy, the number six quarterback in the lead because that's not accurate. I just want to see what happens when uh, when the CFL gets a book on this guy, whether that's halfway through this year, quarter way through this year. Nobody knows how to handle young quarterbacks. I, I can remember with my little cousin going to a game at IG Field between Calgary and the Blue Bombers. And there was a third-string die on the depth chart that night by the name of Bolivi Levi Mitchell. And we had horrendous quarterback performances at that time in Winnipeg, deeply, deeply disturbed by the fact that this third-stringer was making it look like an MOP which he did that night. He made the Bombers look like, I don't know, not very dead. Fast forward to the current day, we have a very good quarterback. A quarterback that has become an MOP candidate multiple times, has won a couple great cups. Is he at that level yet? No. Could he be? Yes. Want to see what happens when... He has a down game. Uh, this week is a challenge. Short week. Going to Ottawa, I believe, this week. Uh, against Mazzoli, who, in his own right, has put up a bunch of yards to two games. So, could we get the area assault and the 41-40 type of game? Absolutely. But this is the guy, and I follow this guy on Instagram. Uh, right back from his days at Ohio. This is a guy, guys, that's very grounded. And you can see by what he puts on on his Instagram account, if you've ever seen it, it's he's constantly working on something, whether it's back at Ohio University. Uh, and it's not really a surprise that he's having the success that he's had. The guys put in the work. Who was his mentor last year before taking over? Mike Riley, that's no accident. Long story short, this guy's got a great career. I just don't know if it's throwing for 400 yards every night or if it's hitting rock bottom eventually, which is going to happen. It's how does he respond. And I think, guys, if this keeps up, the NFL keeps calling and will come calling sooner rather than later. But his skill set is built for the CFL. I'm cheering for the guy, but I'm terrified because he's in the West Division, and everybody's talking about Winnipeg, 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 Winnipeg. If this keeps up, BC's gonna have something to say come November, and. Their quarterback might very well be leading the charge, and it's remarkable because they've had a lot of injuries, uh, but yet that doesn't seem to be a problem. They just keep motoring right along. And, well, that's, and, you see, you see. and that's, that's really impressive to me, along with what what is has done.
0: When you said uh, how you didn't want to anoint him MOP after two weeks, I may have jumped the gun a little on Twitter and went one step further the other day when I suggested we put Nathan Rourke in the CFL Hall of Fame right now. Um, that may have been a week or two early. I think we'll see how he does this week against Ottawa before we officially make that call. But uh, cause I, you know, I totally get a say in that. Um, I am so hyped up about everything I see from Nathan Rourke. I have never owned a CFL jersey with a player's name on the back of it. If I were to get one, it may be Nathan Rourke. And I'm a Bombers fan. Like, I I would get a Lions jersey if I had the, you know, money to direct that direction. I would get a Lions jersey with Nathan Rourke on the back because that's how excited I am from what I've seen from him last season, so far this season. Do I think every week he can put up 400 yards and four touchdowns? No, that would be insane. But if he did, I would love it. That would be amazing and an incredible story. Um, but I, I think that just the composure he has, we've seen him make plays on the run. We've seen him find receivers in different levels of coverage. And you got to give a shout out to Jordan Maximit, the uh, offensive coordinator in BC as well. He has put together a masterful game plan through two games so far. Every one of those four touchdown passes the other night was to a receiver in the end zone with no defender within five yards of them. Like, uh, it was a great game plan, great route running by his receivers. They've got a talented crew in BC. Our biggest concern preseason was the offensive line. They're holding it together, and Rourke's making moves with his legs and his arms here. And uh, something special is brewing here. And I can see a scenario where he does end up as the MOP season's end, uh, if he can keep stringing it together here. Let's talk about the Toronto side of this a little bit. Uh, Boy, what do we make of the Argos here? Because week uh, one, they get the bye. Week two, they come out and they get, uh, you know, they get that last-minute win over Montreal due to the missed field goal. And then they come out flat here. McLeod Bethel Thompson, 178 yards passing only. Uh, 48 of that was to DeVars Daniels on, like, their first pass of the game. Nothing more after that. Andrew Harris got nothing going on, on the ground either uh Adam what do you think here of the Argos efforts uh any concern here for you with, uh, from these first two games of the year you know I'm starting to wonder about mcLeod Bethel Thompson
2: just a little bit my let's face it it's not because I uh have him on my uh, weekly fantasy as well but uh it's more of I just don't like his passing dynamic right now. It doesn't seem to be hitting uh, receivers very well. I mean, when Brandon Banks only has two receptions in a game, that's uh, that's a very big question for mark for me. Uh, it doesn't seem like maybe McLeod Bethel-Thompson is comfortable with the position that he's in, and there could be multiple reasons behind that. It could be the offensive line. It could be the running back uh, maybe not doing the right block uh, or a missed assignment. But, you know, I don't know what it is. I mean, the receiving core is there. Uh, it's a very good receiving core. Yes, there's injuries, but, um, you've also got one of the best blocking backs and, uh, running backs probably in the game with Andrew Harris there. Sure. I, I don't know, but I'm just starting to wonder a little bit more about McCall Bethel Thompson when all things are considered. We even got to see a little bit of Chad Kelly this game. He was two for four. Uh, didn't do a whole lot, but again, I know that Toronto fans are hyped on him a little bit as well. Uh be interesting to see what happens here a little bit later on in the year in Toronto. Trey, what about you for the Argonauts?
1: No, I agree. You touched on Harris. He, what, seven carries and two receptions. If you want to win a game, I think you got to give Harris the ball more than nine times and add on top of that, the two times to Banks. And what, what's my key? Run the ball. And especially if you have Andrew Harris, right? You know, what are you not doing? What did they do on the other side? They gave it to their power back. David Mackey and he ran all over them I think Andrew Harris is a power back could have uh yeah I'm not too sure what the game plan is going on in Toronto um you know Battle Thompson was still 70% on a day that's not a bad police number but 178 yards if you're gonna go 70% you should be 300 yards right you know unless you're only throwing it 10 times so I don't know I think there needs to be a little bit of work done on that offense because yeah you got the keys with that running back who I mean, week one, he didn't or their first game didn't really slow down from his pass unless that injury that happened near the end of the game was bugging him. And, you know, got Brandon Banks, who, too, in that game against Montreal, didn't play too bad in the rest of the receiving course. So, yeah, I need a little bit more from that. And, yeah, BC's defense is good. But are they that good that they're going to keep Brandon Banks and Andrew Harris like that off the stat sheet? Maybe. But, you know, let's see what Mike thinks.
3: Yeah, this to me is a—it's an interesting game, right? Because, you know, yeah, you want Andrew Harris to run the ball a lot. Yeah, you want as many passing yards as possible. But as uh, your game plan changes as the horse starts to leave the barn in this game. Uh, you know, down by 20, down by 25, it's not what you can afford to hand it off to your running back, whether you're Andrew Harris or anybody else. But if I could just touch on this really quickly, if you take out that first drive that Andrew Harris had against Montreal where he had, you know, those almost 40 yards on that opening drive, like, to me, the rest of it just seems very lackluster uh, for a guy that, you know, seems to be, prides himself on being motivated. Um... You know, I, I start to question whether that was, you know, a question on his help uh, to minimize the workload, whatever that might be, a, a result of the game. But you know, you got Brandon Banks; you need more than two catches. Uh, that's that's just a fact. Um, defense to me is like you give up forty-four points. It, it's It's a defense on paper that looks a lot better than it performed. But when your offense isn't really helping you out, it's like this one got away from them late in the game because their offense was doing absolutely nothing. And they were forced to do absolutely everything. So, but just to touch quickly on, I think it was Trey who was talking about, you know, McCall Bethel Thompson, uh, this is the drum I've been banging for quite some time, um, not being sold on the guy. And that goes, you know, not even this performance. But, Ryan, you know this just as well. I've never been sold on McCraw, Bethel-Thompson as a quarterback. He's an okay quarterback. But is he of the Boldy by Mitchell, Zach Caleros, Cody Pajardo, Nathan Wark, Echelon? I, I don't know. I can honestly say no. I have been to the bottom-tier quarterback in this league. And to me, it might be time for the Ardels to look in a different direction at quarterback this offseason if they really want to get to where they want to go. And to me, I, I don't believe that that's overreacting in one game. Um, to me, that's just you have the weapons. Use it, and whether that's offensive scheme, that might be another issue. But I just can't wrap my head around the fact that you have a perennial, most outstanding Canadian, two time great cup champion running back, and you're not going to use them, never mind a speedster wide receiver. I just that I can't wrap my head around in an offensive CFL where. Guys like that make their living. They've been two of the quietest guys. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and they need to figure it out in a hurry because I think there's three teams that have proven the way they played that they are able to pass uh, said football team in the standings. And last I checked, the fourth-place team in the East doesn't make the playoffs to me right now. That third-place team would be hard-pressed to make it if things currently continue as constituted. Toronto needs to get this turned around as soon as possible. Or dare I say it? Turn to Chad Kelly, who, you know, they've been pretty high on. Maybe that might be a name thing. But from all accounts, you don't win a backup job as a rookie, Without making some kind of impact, just food for thought.
0: Well, I mean, the biggest stat line to me in this one for why the Argos probably lost this game, as bad as they did, is the time of possession. BC had the ball for forty minutes and eight seconds. Toronto had it for nineteen fifty-two. If you're if you have the ball for a th- less than a third of the game, you're not going to succeed. And you talk about Andrew Harris only having a couple of carries. Well, they didn't even pass the ball a lot either because they only went, like McLeod Bethel Thompson was 15 of 21. And that's because they just didn't have the ball. The offense wasn't efficient enough and the defense couldn't make a stop and let BC go on long drives. I think it was first quarter we had seen Nathan Rourke go like nine of a 12 or nine of 11 or something like that go all the way down the field a couple of times uh, for BC. So, all around a disappointing effort from the Argos. I really struggle because now we've seen BC with two back-to-back dominant performances, you know, just how bad do I make out from this game of the Argos, you know, versus how much is it just BC is a ridiculous team this year? Like, we don't know yet. It's week three. Uh, It's two games in for both of these teams, right? So, uh interested to see where we go from here, but definitely need to see Uh, more uh, from the Argos here coming into next week. Uh, We did have one comment, uh, one question here in the chat uh, from Scott Westman, who says, uh, is game day attendance a topic for an upcoming show? Uh, Ask Adam how the Mosaic Crows really look. Uh, I'll let you wait on that here in a second, Adam. But uh, in this game, we talked about what are we going to see from BC's attendance, right? Because week one, they smashed it through the roof, 34,000, I think it was, and they got treated to a show. And then they had the bye week. We wondered how many would show up again when there's no concert, there's no pre-game festivities necessarily. And, uh, attendance of 14,006 here for the Lions against the Argos this week. Definitely a big drop. Doesn't look good. Seems like attendance across the board is down. Uh, Adam, what do you think here on, on what we've seen from attendance around the league so far?
2: You know, I was a little disappointed in the Montreal-Saskatchewan one. However, Thursday night football, it's a very weird time. I mean, Montreal's a little different than if it was in Saskatchewan because, I mean, let's face it, out here, you're driving two, three, four hours to get to a football game. And that's why Thursday night football really is kind of questionable uh, in, in the prairies anyways. Maybe in Montreal, Toronto, Hamilton, it's not so bad. Or Vancouver even. Uh, you know, I'm... Mean, not really super surprised that the attendance is down a little bit. Uh, BC, I think, is going to be coming back up pretty quickly, especially when you got a uh, real exciting quarterback there. I think all of a sudden the hype will be there, and that will bring things back. Uh, what a big still on a winning streak, so I expect them to be selling out a little bit more uh, as the weeks progress. And uh, let's face it, July 2nd's coming up here in Saskatchewan. We're getting a rematch with the Alouettes. And hopefully everybody remembers what happened on July the 1st, 2010. I'm not going to say that that'll happen, but uh it'd be pretty nice if it did. Sure helped in, that's for sure. Uh, Trey, what do you think of attendance this year so far?
1: I'm Again, I'm surprised Winnipeg's has been lower. You know, home opener was only like 26,000, double banner night. And then, yes, there was that thunderstorm, but it was also Grey Cup rematch, whiteout, looking from the Winnipeg side, I think it was like 23,000. Yeah, and it was kind of weird. Maybe you can chalk that one up to the lightning delay, but other places, yeah. I'm kind of surprised. So I don't I'm no uh I'm no economist here, but I don't know if this is you know the COVID inflation people are nitpicking pennies here and there so not coming out. I don't know if it's the CFL. I, I I'm gonna link it up to that more than maybe lack of interest in the game because it's these TV numbers seem to be relatively the same. So I think that's what it's going to be more and hopefully as the season progresses, yeah, BC has no reason not to have, uh, you know, their stadium full here. So, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested in this uh, Adam or I'm sorry, um, Ryan. Yeah, no, you
0: mentioned, you know, the, the, the market inflation and things like that. I've seen a decent number of people go and say the gas prices are an issue. You have the out of town folks Not wanting to drive all the way into a game with gas prices as high as it is. So maybe that affects things a little bit there. A number of different factors likely at play. Uh, Mike, anything from you quickly here on the attendance uh, around the league before we uh, move on?
3: I I think I'm going to choose my words carefully here because there's going to be a crowd of people that are going to come out and... Not like what I have to say if it's not said the right way. Um, But I think we need to adjust our expectations. Um, The days of 30,000 for a football game in Canada, at least for right now, have uh, passed. Uh, I think realistically, you look at the stadium size in Ottawa, you look at the stadium size in Hamilton, a good day for the CFL is between twenty-two and twenty-five thousand. To me, IG Field in Winnipeg is too big at thirty-three five or whatever it is. Um, I've been twenty-five thousand for a CFL game in today's climate of everything going on should be celebrated. The one thing that did kind of concern me was I saw some rider tickets on sale for 500 bucks online that caused some consternation a couple of weeks ago. Um, The CFL has to do a job. I understand it's a money-making proposition for as many business people as possible. But I'm of the mind, you need to get people in the door, families in the door, to get them to come back. And I had this discussion over a couple weeks ago when we were on here. People need to set their expectations. And I don't mean to get political in any way, nor is this political what I'm about to say. But I think there's going to be a reset when it comes to ticketing. And it's not just the CFL. We're going to have a market correction amongst the major professional sports to say that inflation is going up. Basically everything's going up, but the everything's going up but the sales and but the salaries of a lot of people so to me would you not rather have affordable tickets get people in seats get them to buy a jersey get them to buy a beer get them to buy a, get them to buy whatever it is to me spending 70 dollars at a cfl game another 20 for parking another 20 for food per person what happened to great family entertainment when i can go not quite downtown, but I can go to a baseball game, have a fairly decent seat at the Gold Eye game for seven to ten dollars, have my food at reasonable prices, and still take my family out for less than a hundred dollars. And a lot of CFL markets. A hundred dollars barely covers two tickets, never mind everything else, never mind Jasper out of town fans. So we need we need to really have a good understanding of what we're going after if we are CFL teams. Cause if it's about the ticket money and $70 a ticket, chances are you hit your your diehards and not your general fans. And that's a very good comment that Cat just made. If you make it affordable family entertainment, people will come. But unfortunately, $50 a ticket is not affordable family entertainment. And it's unfortunate because it's a great product. We need to adjust our expectations. I guess is my rant. And lowering ticket prices might be a great start. I understand that the owners don't want to lose more money than they're already losing. But to me, wouldn't you much rather have a full house with the chance of some of those fans coming back for future games rather than full sessions of fans on or no fans and you see a whole bunch of empty sessions on TV? I don't know about you. The games that are the funnest are the ones with lots and lots of kids in the stands. You're not getting a lot and lot of kids at $70 a ticket or $50 a ticket. Bring your ticket prices down, get the families in, get them to buy a jersey, get them to buy a beer, get them to buy popcorn. It's not happening at 70 bucks a seat, unfortunately. And until we get our heads wrapped around that, that's not just a Regina problem. That's not just the Winnipeg problem. That's not just the Toronto problem. That's not just the BC problem. It's a sporting problem all the way around. And until people begin to realize that, less and less people are going to be going to James, and it might be time to bring back the blackout. Oh, not the dreaded blackout. Please, no.
0: No, let's not bring that back. Um, I don't think that would work in the modern day of social media, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, let's move on to our uh, uh, remaining content here for our week three recap. Let's take a look at our
1: CFL fantasy league results. You want me to throw out the last bet? We didn't do Toronto BC real quick. Oh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, we disagreed. Adam and Ryan took Toronto plus five and a half. I took BC minus five and a half. I came away with that one. So after the weekend, I was two and two while you guys were one and three. Overall, though, Ryan sitting at five hundred, six and six because that uh, the late switcheroo came in after the deadline. So, you know, couldn't work that out. And Adam and I are at seven and five. So you're making money. You're making money. And you know what, to kind of tie into to the point, you can get lower ticket prices with all that ad revenue that people complain about, oh, if I see another betting site, well, you know what, that is what's going to get your ticket prices lower. That's what's going to get your beer prices lower. That's what's going to get the top talent players like Nathan Rourke to stay here because Guess what? There's another team that's not too far from where he grew up in Seattle that needs a quarterback. There's a team in Ohio that, hey, Deshaun Watson might not play ever again, and he played in Ohio, and where's Baker Mayfield going to go? There are teams in the NFL that need a 24-, 25-year-old guy so that has NCAA experience. So, yeah, that's my rant uh, when you see those betting ads, uh, just be thankful it's that, and uh, we have CFL football,
2: right? And hey, if they drive you nutty enough, you might just go to the football game so
0: you don't have to watch those ads. Just saying. There we go. That's the the built-in blackout. That's uh, the betting blackout. There we go. Um, yeah, no, that's an excellent point on that one, and uh, yeah, I tried to switch my pick on that Winnipeg-Hamilton game, but uh, I did not file my papers at Trey's office in time to do so, but Oh, I was so close on that five and a half point spread on the Argos only missed it by about 37.
3: At least the one thing you learn there, Ryan, is you learn trade, the office hours are very <laughs>
0: limited. So I found a complaint about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Not very accessible. Uh, we'll work on that. Uh, let's talk fantasy league results here uh, in our podcast fantasy league. You heard our uh, draft before the season uh, this week, I did take home the top score with 83.9 points. Trey came in second, 79.2, uh, 74.7 for Adam in third, and Mike gave 46.6 point week. Overall standings, 293.6 for me, 279.5 for Adam, so 15 or so back. Uh, Trey comes in at 221.5, Mike at 205.8. So three weeks in, Adam and I uh, doing an out there for first, but hey, plenty of time for people to bounce back uh, it'll certainly help if i can remember to put in my uh, highest point producers in my lineup nathan rourke uh but hey
1: uh still got the crown still got the crown. i hope you hear my footsteps i'm coming back fourth third and next time is second boys footsteps
2: <laughs> i've been just tapping ryan on the shoulder a few times just to just to remind him that i'm coming
1: uh
0: good. well i'm maintaining the lead for now we'll see how it plays out this coming week in the uh, cfl podcast fantasy league uh adam trey, and myself for playing in that one Uh adam and i picked up wins this week i had 66.9 points adam at 71.5 uh trey right in the middle at 70.5 but just short about one point short uh you do lose to the X's and Argo's podcast, Adam beating Zach Schnitzer from Bonfire Sports, myself beating uh, adults from Rouge Radio. Check out all of those other great podcasts as well and check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, a lot of great content going on around there. Let's get into our uh, Players of the Week. Here on the podcast every week, each of us picks a player of the week. And uh, well, let's kick it off here. Let's uh, hide that banner there. I will go first with my player of the week. I've got fancy slide animations here and everything. I'm really enhancing the experience for you all. Uh, Drum roll, please. It should be no surprise based on how much I've been excited to talk about him tonight. My player of the week is Nathan Rourke of the BC Lions, 39-45, of 436 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. You cannot set a record for passing yards in a game by a Canadian quarterback and not be on the list of players of the week. I think one of them, we'd probably get cancelled if if he didn't end up on this list. So I'm doing us a service, keeping us on the internet here, and uh, just go back to everything I've already said about him. Mike, who is your player of the week? Oh, no, Mike's frozen. Did we lose Mike? Okay, well, we'll, we'll come back to Mike's Player of the Week here. Uh, let's go over to Trey. Trey, your Player of the Week here. I got him up on the screen. Uh, tell us why Mark Leggio gets the nod for you.
1: Well, boys, back to the three points I'm going to talk about and people are going to hate. You have to run the ball and make field goals and field position. And this guy gave two of the three Maybe they should put him in running back. Maybe he'll get more yards. Who knows? But um, he did two of the three. Three for three field goals. Longest with 45. Like I think Ryan mentioned earlier, surprised uh, he got the tap on the shoulder from Coach Ocean. The special teams to go out there. But a more key point, nine punts. Longest, 74 yards. Field position, three kickoffs. And again, another one of longest, 75. He scored, I believe, 14 out of the Bombers. 26 points. Half the points. So if those 14 points weren't there, I don't know if the Bombers would be 3-0. and Yeah, they got a couple points off the interceptions and they got some offensive play, but come on. 14 points from your kicker. That's why kickers are your leading point scorers, boys. That makes me happy.
0: Well, speaking of kickers, we've got a second one on the board. I believe Mike's back in here. Mike, uh, why does David Cote get your player of the week?
3: Yeah, as I was saying, he bounced back uh, quite nicely after missing that game. Uh, game-winning tits attempt, third week, uh, number two. And he made kicks from 21, 48, 16, 17, and 30, plus was three for three on converts. Pretty nice bounce back for a guy that had a rough uh, ending, which is nice to see. And uh, just to be a little bit different than everybody else. You took took Trey's shtick.
0: Trey has the kicker of the week every week. No, there could be two kickers of the week. They both played great this week. Uh, Adam, are you making it a third kicker, or where are you going for your player of the week?
2: Well, traditionally, I would try to pick a Saskatchewan Rough Rider here because, you know, I'm the homer of all homers, apparently. But you know what? Um, There's a saying in Saskatchewan, ABC, anybody by Calgary. But you know what? I had no choice this week. Uh, the player I picked was Malik Henry of the uh, Calgary Stampeders. Six catches, eight targets uh, for 173 yards, which was massive. And a touchdown. Boldly my favorite player of the game by far. And uh, absolutely took it to the poor Edmonton Elks. Uh, probably will not be allowed in the city of Edmonton anytime soon. But, yeah, he's my player of the week just because of uh Just because of those yards. I mean, 173 yards, really? I thought that was a typo at first. But uh, no, just a great, great performance by Malik Henry.
0: Some honorable mentions, I think, uh, for Players of the Week this week as well. Dominic Grimes, massive game for BC. Really anybody on Montreal's defense. Chandler Worthy, great return game for the Alouettes. Willie Jefferson, huge game for the Bombers as well. Lots of great, deserving players around the league. But these are our players of the week. As we move on to our week three power rankings, another fun thing to debate and discuss. Uh, well, let's start with Trey here. Trey, uh, you've got Winnipeg, BC, Calgary, Saskatchewan, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Hamilton, and Edmonton. Take us through your uh, week three power rankings.
1: Well, one through three are pretty interchangeable to me at this point. I only put Winnipeg first because I value defense, but that BC offense like we've talked about, it's up there. And Calgary, I got to say, Bo is making me eat my words and uh, probably going to do it all year long. So yeah, like I said, top three, pretty interchangeable. The biggest drop for me was Saskatchewan. I had them one last week uh, and they fell to fourth. I'm sure they'll bounce back, and I'm sure I'm going to have to do something stupid Labor Day banjo with a bet I make with Adam because they're going to lose it, but that's fine. Montreal, too, big win moving up. Toronto, and then the the teams with no wins on the bottom there, I do think unless Hamilton turns it around, Edmonton could be creeping up on them. We're talking about footsteps. Might be a week or two away, but Hamilton needs to get a win or two, or they're going to be in the basement.
0: All right, my, my power rankings for this week. I've got BC at number one, Winnipeg at two, Calgary at three, Saskatchewan four, Ottawa five, Montreal six, Toronto at seven, Hamilton at eight, and Edmonton at nine. I put BC at number one after the first week of the season, and every week I'm like, well, okay, if they start to slip a little bit and Winnipeg keeps winning, KBC will fall down the rankings. I'm certainly not going to drop them down after that performance. That's why they stay at number one. Winnipeg had a dominant victory here. I think they're deserving of number two. You got to slot Calgary in at three because while well, they're three and 0 they're undefeated on the season. So they deserve to be near the top. Saskatchewan drops off a little bit for me, although I don't, I'm not too concerned about this effort from them short week against Montreal. Uh, I think they'll bounce back nicely the following week here. Uh, Maybe a bit controversial. I have Ottawa at number five here, even though they don't have a win on the season. Same thing for Montreal. It was an impressive win over Saskatchewan, but I still have so many concerns over the injuries they have and the depth they have over in Montreal. Toronto didn't look good in this game. Barely beat Montreal in their first game of the season, so I dropped them down. And I think Ottawa looked good in two games against the defending champs. So I have them at number five uh, because I think they are I think they're the better team here out of those three. Uh Hamilton at eight, Edmonton at nine, much the same as what Trey has said there already. Uh over to Mike here. We've got BC at number one, Winnipeg two, Calgary three, Saskatchewan four, Montreal at five, Ottawa at six, Toronto at seven, Hamilton at eight, and Edmonton at nine. Take it away, Mike.
3: Yeah, I, I think this order explains itself based on the way teams have the way teams have been playing uh two, three weeks of the season BC up to number one with back to back impressive performances for me. When Winnipeg's still three and oh not quite enough to uh you know, you could make an argument to flip uh Calgary and Winnipeg, but two of one of those wins I uh, in the Dray Cup rematch for me is what uh put Winnipeg ahead of uh, Calgary for me. Calgary's still unbeaten. Uh, Saskatchewan might be a bit harsh to pull them back a bit after that uh, performance, which was kind of a trap game, but really couldn't justify putting them ahead of any of the teams that are unbeaten. Uh, Montreal, for me, despite being 1-2, and two, is probably the best 1-2 football team in the history of the CFL given the fact that, you know, it's two close games, uh, either side of it. Uh, This might be the best 0-2 football team in Ottawa at number six, uh, losing uh, two to the defending two-time, defending great cup champs. But they have a quarterback. I want to see them play somebody else uh, to really see if Jeremiah Mazzoli can continue what he's been doing. Uh, Toronto for me, I think this was the biggest dropper in my rankings compared to compared to uh, last week. Um, but no, this, this to me like they did nothing but would inspire me uh, to put them any higher. Uh, bottoming out would be the proper uh, analysis based on uh, what I saw this week. But again, not one win. Uh, doesn't justify them going all the way to the bottom. Hamilton are reluctant Owen 3 now. Uh, reluctant to put them uh, at number eight, but they have a pile of injuries. Uh, can't justify, I mean, maybe you could justify Ottawa and Hamilton flip-flopping, you know, now that I think about this. But Owen 3 trouble may be looming in Hamilton with all their injuries, but we'll see. Uh, Edmonton, to me, again, two performances that didn't really inspire, one that was a little bit better, still not enough to get out of last place. And as you'll notice, I left the expansion Baltimore stallions and those type of teams uh, off those lists uh, for the purposes of this exercise. All
0: right, let's move on to Adam's uh, rankings here. BC at number one, Winnipeg at two, Calgary at three, Saskatchewan at four, Montreal at five, Toronto at six, Ottawa at seven, Hamilton at eight, Edmonton at nine. I'm surprised the Colorado Avalanche didn't make it on the top of the list here. But uh, Adam, uh, what went into these ones for you?
2: Well, you just can't add perfection onto the list. I mean, that's just, it's a little tough. Anyways, uh, no, the BC Lions here, I just seen a comment come in from uh, McGraffery saying uh, uh, that he's kind of surprised that uh, some of us are marking BC one and two. Here's one thing that you probably didn't think about. The BC Lions have been doing it on offense, but four uh, quarterback sacks, two forced fumbles, two pass interceptions, two uh, 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 straight out uh, pass knockdowns, And also two fumble recoveries. Their defense is playing just as good as their offense. I think they're probably the team that deserves number one this week. Uh, uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers are better than uh, probably what even their uh, stats show a little bit. I think that they're going to be uh, pushing one. It could be one and one A for the Bombers and the Lions. uh, Just because I think that both of them are pretty close. Uh, The Calgary Stampeders haven't lost. Can't throw them down below the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Because, let's face it, they haven't lost yet. Uh, and Bull Levi Mitchell has started to turn into Goodbo, which is a bad thing for most of the CFL. Uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders at number four. Uh, I think that uh, Craig Dickinson's said it best this week. This is going to be a good week to test the Rough Riders' uh, character and see what they're actually made of. And if uh, they come out flat again against the Alouettes in the opening half, you might see them slip even further down my list. I'd be very concerned with the BC Lions the way they're playing. Saskatchewan's got to kind of pick up their horse pretty quick. Uh, the Montreal Alouettes at number five. Of course, they won last week, had a pretty good game against a pretty good Rough Rider team, I hope. Uh, the Toronto Argonauts, number six. I was actually tempted to put them lower just because they came out completely uh, helpless against the BC Lions. But again, is that the Lions or is that just the team they're playing? Uh, hard to say. Ottawa Redblacks I think, number seven. I don't usually like lowering teams during bye weeks, but it's kind of just where they are right now. They haven't won yet. Same thing with Hamilton and Edmonton. Haven't won yet. And uh, probably I take Hamilton just a little bit over Edmonton right now. However, Edmonton could be moving up soon if they keep playing the way they are. So, uh, yeah, go from there.
0: And I think that's it for our week three power ranking seems like a general consensus on the top four teams. And then uh, I think we have almost every combination possible of those three teams, the middle, Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa, and Hamilton and Edmonton at the bottom. Uh, Well, I think that pretty much does it here for our week three uh, CFL recap. So let's take a look at what's coming up next here on the podcast uh wednesday night our weekly preview trey adam myself will be here to talk you through all the major storylines coming up from this week's games we've got some great ones we've got a couple of rematch i think a rematch or two here uh as well uh we'll talk your best cfl fantasy options we'll make our picks we'll make our bets hopefully this time they'll be a little more successful looking for a better week this week we'll see if we hit that Uh, Join us Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time, 8 p.m. Saskatchewan, other time zones accordingly. Uh, You can catch us live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, uh, and the Game Time TV YouTube page. Shout out to our presenting sponsor there as well. Uh, And then uh, we will have our weekly recap uh, next week. Uh, Exact time to be determined because the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Toronto Argonauts play a game Monday night uh so we are still working out the logistics of when our recap will be but we will let you know on social media but look forward to that early next week as well where we'll, where we'll do exactly what we did tonight have a lot of fun along the way there uh, of course you can uh, follow us on twitter at cf countdown pod on facebook the canadian football countdown there to stay up to date on all of that make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well at CF Pod Network on Twitter. Well, where can everybody find what you guys got going on? Mike, you're up first. Uh what you got going on these days?
3: The day is almost here, gentlemen. We are about to unravel some big news. Hopefully, by the next time, by this time next week, uh, there was a little bit of a tidbit dropped on I guess my social channels, or one of them anyway, but uh, stay tuned. A lot of excited stuff getting closer to the big reveal. Uh, in all seriousness, you can find my stuff, Facebook.com, Batsboss, GameTime, TVMB. You can find my frustrations with the Blue Jays' bullpen and starting pitching on most nights, with tonight being uh, the rare exception. On uh, my Twitter account, at MikeDaryl, you can also find my pet page with a lot of things. I like to do a lot of venting, uh, quite entertainingly, uh, but all within the rules. And you know what? If you want to engage me about power rankings or anything else you've heard on this show, uh, by all means, please do so. I love the discussion. Uh, particularly with uh, a show like this one, uh, when it comes to interaction. So you can find me on Twitter, at Mike Daryl. There is a Game Time TV uh, Twitter account coming uh, sometime soon. Uh, so be yeah, on the lookout for that in the next couple of weeks. And just can't wait to finally let it all out for everybody. What I've been sitting on should we the reason why I was late for tonight's show? But that's a discussion for another day. Sounds good. Trey, where can people find everything you're up to these
1: days? You can find me at TreyMBHarness on Twitter. And you want to talk horse racing, boys. While we were doing this, I don't know if you catch my eye, but I keep a Cineboy at Downs on magic happened i hit every pick three and the pick five just now so i made money after blowing it on the cfl this weekend boys so yeah mad yeah miracles do happen uh so yeah at tram harness on twitter if you want to talk football clearly horse racing uh yeah if you're a jets fan and you want to complain about barry trot's not coming here i'd love to hear that um and whatever else uh star wars marvel everything else i talk about at tray mb harness adam
2: well, let's face it, I always keep hearing now Barry Troats is coming to the Regina Pats, but yeah, that probably isn't going to happen either. Hey, you can find me over at Adam Stewart One. Uh, we can talk, uh, the, you know, Stanley Cups. Uh, you could talk how I met your mother memes. Uh, whatever you're looking for, really, on social media, it's probably on my page. Uh, I'm going to have some new uh, cow calf pictures because, you know, apparently people like looking at my cows. So, uh, yeah, Adam Stewart One over on Twitter. Uh, you can find everything you're looking for over there and probably things that you even aren't looking for, Ryan.
0: Yes, uh, great job coming in uh, last minute off the bench as well to join us here, Adam. Uh, happy you were able to make it and join us here tonight as well. You can find me on Twitter at Cooper Trooper 42. It starts with a K. I tweet here and there about, uh, you know, CFL, CFL fantasy, a little hockey. I did share on my Twitter this week some big news. Uh, I'm going to be a dad coming in January. So, uh, you know, uh, may need to test out the dad jokes a little more on social media and here on the podcast going forward. If you thought my humor was uh, difficult to bear now, uh, watch out. Uh, So look forward to that. We might have to do a segment uh, every week here on the podcast of what can I take from this week in the CFL and apply as dad advice. Uh, maybe we can spitball something on that going forward. Very excited, of course, for all of that and, uh, everything going on these days and, uh, what's to come with that. So, uh, yeah. Well, uh,
2: so Ryan, does this mean I have to go and, uh, get one of those little Rough Rider uh, jerseys soon or?
0: I, I will not bring that into my house. If that, if that is delivered in the mail, you do not have my address, my mailing
1: address, and I will keep it that way. <laughs> I thought you were going to Avalanche jersey for a second there. So, you know, at least he went with the CFL team.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: Adam will come find me at a game and hand
0: me a jersey. <laughs> Travel all the way here for that. Uh, no, lots of fun. And, of course, lots of fun here with the podcast each and every week. Uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, we always appreciate it. Do all the fun things. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. Join us on our live shows every Monday and Wednesday night. Chime in in the chat. We had a lot of great comments here tonight. It was wonderful. We always appreciate it. Lots of fun with that. On behalf of the entire crew here tonight, Michael Garrell, Adam Stewart, and Trey Kolbeck, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.